might have heard that the Talica boys were gonna play some heavy shit tonight. Welcome back to another edition of Metal Tales from the Road. We're going to be talking about the Zurich show in Switzerland, where there were some fun setless surprises, some debuts for the European Stadium Tour. We were talking here with our friend Aurelian Moreau. What's up, homie? Hey, I'm fine, Clint. How are you? I'm doing good. For, it's easy for me. For me, it's 3 o'clock, which means that in about an hour and 15 minutes, I get to go get my kid from school and enjoy an evening with my family. For you, however, though, it's 10 p.m., you put your kids to bed. Exactly. So now the the night is mine. The night is yours. What's your what's your <laughs> vibe over there? Do you ever make a little uh, bedtime cocktail for the nightstand? Uh no. I'm just I will just chill a little bit because I'm a bit a bit tired because after Zurich I went to the Paris show so I drive a lot uh, this weekend. So where are you at right now? So I'm living in the northeast of France, um, next to the border with Belgium, Luxembourg, and Germany. So I'm I'm. A bit of a cross between several uh, several European countries. So I'm I'm living in France and working in Luxembourg. So I'm okay. a full European. Full on. Well, so give us a give us a, a sort of a picture of what it's like to drive to these shows. Is it inconvenient? Is it tough? I know that over there everything's pretty close in Europe. What was the what were those drives like for you? So Zurich, it was a four hour drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I drive during uh, the night sleep a little bit in my car just to to make sure to be quite early at the show wow that's dedication yes but, but i i really wanted uh, to to try to to be at the rail so i was at uh, 8 a.m at the venue wow and it was uh, probably too early because uh, no one showed uh, until uh, 10 a.m so you were the first one there yes i was the first one and i was a bit worried because i was wondering if there was a Somebody queuing uh, at another at another place around the venue because I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan and right. generally people are sleeping uh, the day before right. or, or are there maybe at uh, 4 a.m. something like that and sometimes sometimes the queue are not directly next to the venue but uh, somewhere else so I was uh, I was wondering if I was at the right place but uh, I was I was just the first one. Well, let's talk about the Pearl Jam thing for a second. So as many listeners of ours know, Ethan and I are massive Pearl Jam fans. And our friends, uh, the Brads over at Single Podcast Theory, they started a podcast similar to Metal Every Podcast. If you haven't checked that out yet and you're a Pearl Jam fan, you absolutely must. But you actually heard of our show from Single Podcast Theory. Is that right? Yes, exactly. I think Single Podcast Theory was the first podcast that I, the I ever listened to. Wow. And uh, I quickly binge all the episodes and I... I was uh, out of material, and uh, sometimes I made some reference to you, and you you were a guest on uh, the No the Code episode, mm-hmm. if I remember well. And then I say, okay, I'm I'm a casual Metallica fan. So I know a few things. I saw them a few times. Maybe I maybe post podcast would be fun. So I just give a try to your podcast, and it's actually your podcast that I kind of uh, ignite my interest in Metallica. That's so great. So what was your listening? I mean, you said you were kind of a casual fan. Like, did you yeah. buy the new record, for example? Did you own Hardwired? Uh, yes, I buy it at the release date because I um, I, I would say I, I discovered Metallica with the Black Album. I was uh, 12 when it came out, and it was a, a huge thing at the time. I think you, it was impossible to miss Metallica. They were everywhere. Even in France, we are not a, a country where rock music is huge. Right. But I would say in the early 90s, it was people were more into rock music and Metallica was everywhere. So I bought a black album at the time, but I did, for some reason, I did not really found time or interest to dive into the back catalog because I was more into Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, men like that. Mm-hmm. And it's only in two, 2006, I went to a, festi- a big festival in Germany called Rock Am Ring. And Metallica was one of the headliners, along with uh, Guns N' Roses and Depeche Mode. 
And um, so I just went to the Metallica show without any expectation. And after a few songs, uh, they said, okay, it's the 20th anniversary of Master of Puppets, and we'll play it uh, from front to back. Right, right. And I say, and I've never heard one of, I've never heard Master of Puppets before. So I kind of discover, uh, discover all, all Master of Puppets from this live experience. And it was amazing. And then I, only in 2006, I kind of dive in the uh, back catalog. But once again, I listened to a lot of music. So I, it was just one, one band uh, among uh, the others that I listened to. And then I saw also Metallica once again in 2011 for a big four, uh, a big four show, uh, because it was organized only at uh, 10 kilometers from where I live. So I, sh I should go. So it was great. And then I saw them once again in 2012. And then I, I have a bit of interest when uh, Hardwired came out because I uh, I heard Muff into the Flames and I thought I think that it's a great song and it's an instant classic in my opinion. Absolutely. And uh, but I was it I listened to the album a few times but it's only uh, I would say 18 months ago when I discovered your podcast that I dive I would say once again and I dive proper properly in all their uh, catalog back catalog and all their albums. It's interesting that you would describe yourself as a casual fan, and you definitely saw the band more times than I did uh, over the last couple twenty years. But I would say it was only I've I saw them three times, but I would say first time it it was at festival, so it was just one bong, one band among the others. Right. Second times you have a big four show. There was also Slipknot playing just ten kilometers from where you live, so you had to go. Right. And the the first times was a strange a strange story because I. I initially bought a ticket to see Soundgarden in Luxembourg, and we, we received a mail saying, okay, uh, Soundgarden will not play in Luxembourg because uh, Metallica has uh, chosen them to open from they for a one-day festival in Belgium, so you can we can reimburse you, otherwise you get a free ticket for the one-day festival. Hmm. So my initial plan was just to say uh, to see Soundgarden, and in the end I got a one-day uh, I, we, I get for a really cheaper price a one-day ticket to see Soundgarden and Mastodon and Ghost and Metallica. And I was not aware that I would be able to to see the, the Black Album played from uh, back to front. It was amazing. It was amazing, but it was not my intention at the right. first time. Just So it was kind of a, a nice story. Yeah, your your first show, you got to see Disposable Heroes, which was the first time they'd played it since 1993. Yeah, and you got to see the first time they ever played Orion in its entirety. Exactly, that's incredible! Yeah. Wow. No, it 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 was an amazing show, and I would say the crowd in Germany they are they are great. Right. I would say everybody was uh, singing uh, all the riff and so on. So I would say we we are not in uh, in Germany. It's not South American uh, crowd yet, but it's definitely uh, worth seeing bands in Germany. Well, let's talk a little bit about Pearl Jam because I don't get, you know, other than my friends, the Brads, when they invite me on their podcast, I don't get to talk about Pearl Jam very much. Yeah. Uh, so you're a diehard Pearl Jam fan, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, let's say that I'm a strange diehard because I, I discovered them in 1992 mm -hmm. and I, it was my favorite band until Vitology. But when Knockout came out, I, I kind of fell off the ride because... It was a huge departure. Change the the, 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 the sound was not the same. Right. Uh, there were no solo anymore. So it, they, I would say it was maybe an intentional um, thing that they do. They they want to, to to maybe to do something different, even if they lost some fun. And they lost me at the time, and I only came back uh, in the program ride in 2000, uh, tw 2012. Backspacer. Um, oh no, was that uh, a lightning bolt? Uh, a little bit before they um, they organized a European tour in 2012, okay. and I just say, okay, this is one of the bands that I've I've never seen before. I just want to see them once, and then I came at the show and I discover, I would say something that I something that I would have not uh, expected. So I I met people coming from everywhere in the world, people that I've saw the bands uh, ten times, twenty times, thirty times. People are checking some uh, specific apps in order to see uh, what songs they have already seen, what song they, what are the, the, the songs they're looking for. So it was something crazy for me because uh, I think Pearl Jam fans are very dedicated. Absolutely. And um, and 
while I was queuing, all the all the fans world world uh, told me, but it's your first show, but you just want to to see them once, but it's sure you you will you you will will be back to see them. And uh, they were right because the, the show was insane. They played 2,000 and they play uh, a, a little less than three hours, and the, the set list was crazy. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, I saw them five times, and uh, last wow. year uh, seven times. Wow! Crazy. So yeah, so crazy. So have you gone back and listened to the? I mean, if you got off at Vitology, I mean, you've got No Code and Yield and Binaural Riot Act, all that stuff. Did you go back and listen to all the records? Yes, everything. So I was already, I was familiar with Yield and uh, Binaural because some of my, some of my some of my friends were still in Persian, and I just maybe they they learn if I I maybe listen a few times to the albums, but no more. But uh, um, albums like uh, Riot Act and uh, Avocado, mm-hmm. I was even not um, aware of the fact that this album were released. So I I really come come back into their their whole catalog and. I would say I'm a dyad now, but uh, I, I, I stopped listening to them for almost, I would say, uh, 15 years. Wow. Yeah, strange. Well, it's so fun that you can kind of step away for a minute and come back and have all that fun stuff to go through. Plus, it's awesome that the live experience is sort of what turned it around for you and meeting other fans. Because for, for Metallica fans who, you know, we understand what the diehard situation is in this camp, but Pearl Jam is also very intense. Pearl Jam's a band that rarely, if ever, plays the same set list in a row. So with, yes. a, with a catalog that large, if you're going to as many shows as you've been to, 15, 16 shows, you're chasing all kinds of different songs, and you never know if you're going to be able to make progress or if you're going to see something you've never seen before or a different version exactly. of something. So it's a fun band to be a fan of. Dave Matthews is really similar. It's like different yep. apps and stuff, and people chase different songs. and That's awesome, dude. I think yeah. I think it was surprising for me when the when the Brad started single podcast theory. It surprised me the overlap of Metallica and Pearl Jam bands. I wouldn't have guessed that there are as many of us until yes. the last few years, but there really are quite a lot of us. Yes, I think so, and I think the uh, that's why I wanted to do several dates of Metallica this time, just to to experience how different they are, not different are the the fans, the show, and so on. And I really felt a lot of similarities. Uh, uh, while queuing at the show, discussing with the fan and so on. I think there are a lot of things that are common to to the fans of these two bands. Let's talk about them. What are some of the things that poked out to you that you found similar? Well, you're just queuing and uh, you can... Every Everybody is super chill, super open to discuss. People are coming from everywhere around the world. So while queuing in Zurich, I was with a couple coming from uh, Brazil, a guy from Argentina, one other guy from Cyprus. So you have people from more or less uh, everywhere in the world. And with the black ticket, you have a, obviously you had a lot, lot of people who, who are following the band this time. Right. And did, did, let me ask you this. Did you end up getting the rail? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> God knows you put in the time. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Because I was a little bit concerned because the, with all this package, you it's kind of not, you're not sure to get the rail uh, depending on the packet that you have. So I have a black ticket. Okay, so uh, gotcha. in, in Zurich, we were able to, to go in alongside with the uh, shortest row, meaning that oh, more or less only the um, all, night, all Nightmare Experience people were already in the venue. Gotcha. And this means you had, is this the Golden Circle? Were you able to get into the Golden Circle? Yes. Okay. So we, we can go in the Golden Circle, and then uh, I was able to be uh, at the rail uh, at the, on the side of the Snake Pit. Awesome. And what was the vibe like in there? I mean, the, when I did the Snake Pit in St. Louis, the vibe in the pit was very cool. I was surprised at how loose it was in there when we got in. It didn't really fill up in this pit until right before Metallica went on. Yeah, so I was not in the pit, but on the, let's say, just the other side of the pit. Ah, got you, have... got you. Yeah, so, so in, I would say outside of the pit, it was uh, crowded quite early, but within the pit, most of people are only coming for Metallica or for Ghost. Yeah, maybe, but but uh, and in the pit, I don't know if if it's for security reason, but there people are there's a lot of space in there. Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures from the show now. It looks like an awesome arena and looks like a beautiful night too. Yeah, yeah. So it it was not raining because uh, in in Milan apparently it was a nightmare because it was super wet and super muddy. Right. We we had almost no rain and uh, it was very chill. It was my first big show in Switzerland and people were really. I would say friendly, 
kind and there were not too much pushing, mushing or something like that. So it was a nice, I, I, I was able to, to enjoy the show without feeling, um, uh, without any security concern and so on. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's no joke. I mean, as people start getting rough around me, it's like time for me to move away. Yes. I, I would, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward from, uh, for the Paris show because in Paris it was super roady and, uh, and to be honest, we were very. It was we were moshing. Uh, um, people were crowd, there were a lot of crowd surfing and so on. So you had, I, okay, I understand it's a rock show, but when you have to 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 constantly uh, see if uh, you will not be kicked in the head and so on, you you kind of sometimes uh, lose the the interest of the show because you 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 feel you feel that you have to care for your own safety. But oh, in yeah. Zurich, it was it was super quiet. In my opinion, it was a a nice experience. Yeah, well, it's hard to uh, it's hard to listen to the subtleties of the god that failed while you're worried about getting a concussion for sure. Exactly. So, how was Bokasa? I mean, were you familiar with that band before, or was this your first time hearing no, them? No, I've never heard of them before. Um, I would say it, they played um, in in Zurich. The curfew was uh, was at eleven o'clock, meaning that Bokasa played at five fifteen. Okay. So quite early, early in the day, and it was a Friday, so some people were still working and so on. So the venue was not filled for them. The sun was not great, and uh, I would say it's for me it's hard when you have a trio, uh, so only a drummer, a bassist, and a singer guitarist to to fill the, the space of a huge stage. So it was a bit strange. They were very, they cannot move uh, a lot, so. I would say there, there was no production, and uh, regarding the songs, the sound was not great, so all the songs kind of sounds like right. the previous one. Yeah, it's but tough. I would say they, they did their best. Uh, they seemed to enjoy themselves. They were quite enthusiastic, but um, it, I don't know. It was, uh, I would say, it was fine, but nothing nothing exceptional. Sure. And I'm actually looking at the pictures from the gig, as I said earlier. And it's making sense now that you said there was a curfew because it looks like for the first little bit of Metallica set, the sun was still out. Yes, I would say, and the sun only. Yes, it was uh, the night. It was the night only when they only for the nine or ten song. So the, the first part of the set was it was still uh, daylight. Wow. Okay. Cool. And how about Ghost? Uh, you a Ghost fan? Have you seen? You said you'd seen them before, maybe. Yes, so I saw them once in 2013, um, but I was I was kind of puzzled at the time because when I when I at the time when I saw their pictures, I thought it I thought it was a death metal band, and when they started to play, it was something completely different. Right. So I was not really into it, and um, for this time, for I've never really tried to listen to Go Sin, so I I came with zero expectation. I knew only one song, the song Rats, because you play it on one of your uh, radio episodes, so right. I like that one. Um, I would say it's, uh, it, it, it was a, a nice show, um, very well produced. Uh, the musicians were very great. The voice of the singer was great. But I, I would say there are some songs that I really liked. It's sometimes it's a bit of a mix of several you know, some songs mix uh, heavy, heavy stuff with uh, pop chorus and so on. So I think I need to to listen to them more. Yeah, and it's another one of those bands too where you're also not getting the power of the stage show if it's in daylight. Yeah, and it was it was daylight, and and you're right because uh, so after the Zurich show, I was just okay. Whatever. It was uh, an entertaining uh, moment, so but I will I will probably not listen to them. And then I saw them uh, yesterday in Paris, and uh, this evening I was just I was just launching, launching my Spotify, and I I just click on Ghost. So so you know maybe just seeing them two or three times live. I'm I'm the kind of guy where I'm really into live music, mm-hmm. and generally it's live music that turned me into artists. For example, like a band like Mastodon. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. But but I saw them several times, and it's. It's uh, after seeing them live that I started to listen to the record. So, yep, I've, yep. so, so, so I would say Ghost, the, the band was super tight. Uh, 
The singer is very charismatic, a uh, lot of interaction and communication with, uh, with the crowd. So I think, I, I, at first, I, I, I had zero expectation and I was positively uh, impressed by their prestation. That's awesome. I think they're going to make a lot of new fans on this tour for sure. Yeah, I think so. Because they have the combination of they've Ghost is getting big enough to where you've at least heard about them. So then you're putting sort of the recognition of the conversation that's happening with them in the culture, plus getting to see them and that dude is super charismatic and the songs are pretty yeah. good and hooky. So I think they're gonna I think they're gonna have a nice eighteen months after this tour. Yes. And and then they sounded awesome. The sound yeah. was awesome. Yeah. So Bocasa's probably traveling with a DIY budget, you know, house situation. They don't have as much time to sound check. It's no. definitely going to sound better with Ghosts, who probably have all of their entire crew and team. Yes, I think so. Because, uh, for example, for Bocasa, their, uh, their guitars are plugged with cable and not with a um, wireless system. Right. So they are not able to, to go all around the stage. Right. So it was strange because I think nowadays probably... Uh, um, it, I, I, we all felt why why do, why they still have some cables instead of uh, wireless system. Yeah, I mean it depends if it, if it's just a uh, if it's a logistics thing. It's just because they don't have the gear to travel with the systems. Like when we travel and play, we have an entire rack that travels in a on a trailer with our bus. That's our whole wireless rack, and then we have redundant wireless for in case anything goes wrong. But then there are other people. Like I remember seeing Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers right before Tom passed away here in Nashville. And Mike Campbell still plugs his cable in, but it's because he's kind of a purist. And uh, because okay. there's an argument to be made. I'm not sure how much weight it holds, but there's an argument that when you go wireless, you're actually you're actually depending on the impedance and depending on the buffers and the systems, you're actually losing the tone quality. Okay. So I don't know about all that. I like having the wireless option. I like being able to run around. And then of course I've seen Iron Maiden run around as if they were on a wireless pack. But they were, <laughs> yes, but they were plugged in, and they just had a guy feeding the cables on the side of the stage, like a hundred foot yes. cable. Yeah, and that dude's doing like the helicopter thing with his guitar. I'm just like, how the hell did they pull that off? <laughs> All right, so goes Bukasa plays, Ghost plays. Everyone's properly warmed up, I imagine. And yeah. uh, and yeah, tell me one more time: Had you seen the Hardwired tour before when they came through no. the arenas? Okay. No, no, my previous, my last show uh, of Metallica was in 2012. Right. So, and I'm not a big video guy, so I, I'm, I usually, I'm listening to a lot of bootlegs and so on, but generally not the, not video, only right. audio. So, except from what has been, uh, from what I've understood from the people from what has, that has, that have appeared on the Metal Taste on the Road, um, I'm, I was, I have no specific expectation, so... Were you aware, or was there any kind of conversation, perhaps when you were like lined up outside to get on the rail, that the set list for the previous several shows have been really exciting? That people they've been pulling out some sort of rare treats. Yes, exactly. Um, for example, I, when I saw that they played No Leaf Clover, for me it was uh, insane to say, "Wow, they played this kind of stuff." And um, yeah, I think I like the way that this uh, this set list are, are made. But I would say most of the people who, who were like. Uh, Lining up with me in the in the queue, uh, I've already done uh, three or four dates of the tour, so mm -hmm. they are they were already used to the set list. Right, right. Well, so getting into the set itself, so hardwired. I remember when I saw the stadium tour. I have to try to remember back because I saw three of the arena tours after this. But what I remember is looking at the screens. The screens are all flashing the hardwired stuff, and then it seemed like the guys kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lars walks up, and then before you know it, they're just—it's almost like they magically appeared. Yeah, a really powerful moment. Yes, exactly. And it—I would say it, it was. Uh, I would say I think it's really an It's a perfect um, song for an opening slot for me. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's short. It's uh, it's fast. It's heavy. Um, I just have a bit of um, issue because I was I was uh, on the side of the pit, and when you are here, you're close to the. Uh, the small amps that are, you know, um, yep. I don't know the word in English. The monitor, uh, like a little monitor. Yes. And when you, if you're close to the monitor, then you get uh, an extra sound sometimes. Yeah. I think someone already mentioned it in one of the Metal Tastes on the Road. And depending on um, which member of the band was cl uh, the closest to where we are, we get some uh, guitar, bass, or drum feedback. So during the first song, 
I would say my mind I, or, has to adjust to the thing that I hear the, the full sound, but a bit of an extra sound. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed it too. It's kind of distracting. I, I ended up kind of liking it just because it, I was fascinated. Every show that I went to, I was just because it's what I do for a living too, and it's one of my favorite bands. I was always fascinated by the production elements. So I kind of got a kick out of hearing them, you know, fly in the monitor sounds depending on who was in front of us. But I can also see how if you're just there to dig the show and hear the music, if you're a big live music guy like you are, I can see how that'd be a little distracting. Yeah, but as, as I as I was aware of it because of one of the previous episodes of Metal Taze, honestly, it only needs maybe a, a first half, or after the first half of Hardwire, my, my mind was used to it and it was nice. But sometimes it's strange because you, you only heard a bit of the uh, snare drums. Yeah. So you, you had a bit of an extra snare drums, but... Uh... But yeah, so Hardwire, they, in my opinion, it was uh, flawless. So we, every, everybody, all the crowd was really into it. And then you directly go in the memory remains. And for me, it's a super efficient song to play at this lot because you, everyone is singing, everyone is really into it. And it's one of my favorite songs from the Load Reload uh, albums. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's cool seeing there the, in slot two. So, yeah. so he didn't even say anything. He, they just went right into it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that one-two punch is pretty awesome. And I gotta say, I mean, I, I like Atlas Rise, but I'm I'm okay seeing Atlas Rise go from the set list for a little bit. I would say Atlas Rise is one of my favorite um, tracks of the albums, but I, when you have to include it in a set list, um, I would say I prefer the Memory Remains. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they play, uh, I would say, uh, very few songs of Load and Reload, so it's always a treat to to get a few few one of these. Yeah, I agree. And then you got on the third slot, what's definitely being considered a treat on this tour is Disposable Heroes, one of their fastest, thrashiest, craziest songs. How is it sounding live? It, sound, uh, it sounded awesome. So obviously before uh, playing this song, uh, James uh, told us that we, we will get a very uh, old track, and uh, he has this kind of um, guitar with the military design, so I would say part of the part of the fans were already expecting these possible heroes, and it was super fast, super tight. And James were kind of uh, joking. I, sometimes he were, um, he got his uh, his, his end. Um, he just um, I would say it. He just looked at, at us to to say that it was hard to play. Ah. Yeah, because it it's under the right hand is super fast. Yeah, it's I mean it's one of the fastest songs on their whole catalog. Yeah, that's what's so fun about seeing that they're pulling it out. I mean, let alone when they were wrote it and they were on the Puppets tour, but even now, I mean, I have to, I can hardly play it, you know. And I'm I'm a pretty decent guitar player, so <laughs> yeah. to think of him playing it, singing it, running around, where do you remember like where? Because after Atlas, from what I remember from the stadium show or after uh, Hardwired, I mean, is when they kind of start to move around more. So by Disposable, had they started to sort of, has anyone come up the snake pit or anything or moved no. to the side? So they're still all up front. Yes, they were all, all up front. And it's only uh, with, um, with the next song that they try, they started to to go on the, it, is it called the catwalk or how do, how do you call it? Yeah, the catwalk. Yeah. And, and to be honest, they, they spend maybe half of the time so on the catwalk. So it was nice because I was just in front of one of the mics. So I was, I would say the members were only maybe one meter from where I was. So it was super, Wow. it was super close. Did you have any uh, eye contact moments with any of the boys? No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then they played The Thing That Should Not Be, which they debuted in Barcelona. But before that, they hadn't played it since 2013. Yeah. So I assume that they are kind of rehearsing from the SM2. Yeah, right. How did it so, sound? It sounds great. So when I saw James um, having uh, this purple guitar, so yeah, I right. I remember that it was probably a, a, a song played in a drop D or drop C sharp. Yep. And uh, so I was almost sure that it would be the thing that should not be. No, it's it's. Uh, I think it's obviously a fan favorite. With this possible role and the thing that should not be, they... It's for the the OG, I would say. Absolutely. And so when they're playing songs like that for the OG, like The Thing That Should Not Be, like Disposable Heroes, what was the vibe like in the stadium? Did most people know those songs? 
I would say as it was on the rail around me, all the all the, all the fans were into every song of the set. Yeah. So it 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 makes where I was. It makes no difference. It was it, it was a an old song, a new song. Everyone was fully uh, immersed in the in the last show. Wow. We were yeah. uh, talking with another listener. Uh, it's actually on the episode that dropped today. They were asking about why does the band tend to play uh, deeper cuts in Europe rather than the states. And uh, you know, I don't know. I wonder if do you have any opinions about that. Let me ask you this: Does Pearl Jam do they play deeper cuts in Europe than the states? Uh, they play deeper cuts everywhere. So right, right. <laughs> no, with Pearl Jam there is no distinction. I would say with Pearl Jam, generally when they play at festival. Uh, playlists are more plain vanilla, and when it's their own shows, there is there are more deep, deep cuts. But uh, for example, Pearl Jam last year, uh, I saw them in Amsterdam, and they played first night. It was mostly only the hits. Second night, uh, a few deep cuts. And uh, the last show of the tour in London, it was a makeup show because uh, Eddie Vedder was sick for the one of the London show, right. and it was mostly deep cuts. Wow. So I think it for Pearl Jam it fully depends on their moods. I think they probably made the set list only a few hours uh, before the show. But as they have no production, it's easier for me to, for them to to change or to play what they want or to change on the fly. Yeah, they have very minimal stage stuff, right? Just some lights, I guess. Yes, and it's it's very basic light. I would say there's for me it's, you, you can almost say that there is no production. There are a few a few lights, but it that's it. Yeah, so I don't know for Metallica why do they play more deep cuts. I I also have the impression that maybe probably before this uh, the the Hardwire uh, tour they they tour more in Europe than in uh, the, U- the US. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I would say when I just take a look at the the past show of Metallica, every almost every two years they are in Europe for uh, fifteen or twenty dates. Right. Um, we would say there are some festivals. Um, for example, in Werther in Belgium, they played it uh, several times. Same with Rock am Ring. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe the, the crowd are not the same, or I don't know. They also did the uh, the 30th anniversary of the Black Album tour. They did that whole run over there. Yes, where they played it, you know, back to front. And yeah, it doesn't bum me out. I'm happy for my European friends. I love hearing about <laughs> it and watching the uh, videos and the listening to the bootlegs and all that. Yeah. Uh, so then you get the Unforgiven, which is pretty standard fare. You get to see yes. that badass Kirk Hammett solo. Exactly. So, so I started with a mixtape, and then uh, they, you saw the uh, acoustic uh, guitar coming in. Because when the mixtape starts, I don't know if I'm the only one, but you can. I was expecting maybe someday they could maybe throw in the Unforgiven too. Just oh, to Absolutely. But uh, okay, it's the regular Unforgiven, but it's one of my favorite songs, probably the, the song that I've listened to the most in the early 90s. Um, for me, it's a perfect song. The, the, song, the, the solo is killer. Uh, Kirk nailed it. It was, uh, yes, it was, uh, it was great. A lot of, um, I would say, you, you can feel uh, the. You can feel that the, the fans really dig this song. As I, I, once again, if I compare with Pearl Jam, their, for example, for their song Alive, one of the most uh, well-known songs, I would say Die Hard, OG, they are kind of uh, tired of uh, hearing it uh, at every show. But I, f- I would say for Metallica, I don't have the impression that the, the fans are bored by The Unforgiven of, or Master of the Pattern song like that. It's very different. That's actually a really good point. Like, if I was to go, see, I've only seen Pearl Jam two or three times in my whole life, and I haven't seen them in a very long time. And they're easily one of my favorite bands. But if I were at a show and they were playing Even Flow or Alive or Yellow Ledbetter or Bob O'Reilly, yeah. I would be bored. I would be like, come on. But I did not feel that way about any Metallica song. Yeah. And I saw them in three arena shows in a row. And they basically exactly. almost played the exact same set list. So I wonder what accounts for that. It'd be interesting to talk to Brad Blazik about that because I know he's a yeah. massive Metallica fan. I wonder if he feels the same. Yeah. It would be interesting because I... I would say for for the Metallica show that I've done in the past and these two that I've just done, I would say even people that I saw them uh, maybe 20 or 30 times, they are really into all their songs. Yeah. And for Pearl Jam, it's not the same. I would say for Pearl Jam, nowadays, the last three or four songs are generally the same one. And people say, okay, we'll have a live, Rock in the Free World, Yellow Dead Better. So it's it's uh, bread and butter. It's, uh, it's not interesting. So very different on this uh, point. Yeah. Hmm. 
another interesting thing I I see looking at the set list is you guys got the European Stadium debut of Now That We're Dead, which I thought maybe they had kind of put away. Yes, uh, because go ahead. Because because for all the previous show, it was not uh, Now That We're Dead, but um, Here Comes Revenge, I think. Right, Here Comes Revenge. Yes. Is what they've been doing. Yes, and they throw in Now That We're Dead. Um, it's not my favorite song of the of the of Hardwired, but what I I always like when um, when bands or artists are, are having fun. And I would say for this one, you, if you look at uh, James and Kirk, they were having fun. And for me, it's, I would say it's, in, it's important and set least that, that the, the artists are enjoying them, themselves. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so once again, uh, referencing Pearl Jam, usually Pearl Jam, they are throwing in a few covers to, because I think that they like to play covers. And for Metallica, there are not there, there are some covers, but I would say less cover compared to Pearl Jam. But uh, for Not That We Dead, once again, I think I prefer Atlas Rise, but I think it's better for them to 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 play Not That We Dead. And I think at this spot, after the Unforgiven, you need the songs to kind of uh, bring back the the energy. Yeah, yeah. I would say a different energy, something more 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 enthusiastic energy. And and they did do the drum thing. Did they do the big drum circle thing? No, it was the regular version of Nova with Ed. Yeah. You know what? That makes me more excited about it, honestly. Yeah, because I okay, I've been listen, I've been uh, listened to all these metal tapes from the road. Some people were kind of thought that the song was too long, and yeah. it was the regular version. And it was energetic, tight, and direct, and to the point. At uh, and they were having fun. So it's. It's what's it's important. That makes me excited because we haven't heard it that way ever. I mean, they've been doing this drum thing ever since the tour started. So now the thought of them doing that perhaps with the orchestra for SM2, but the short type version actually gets me uh, pretty excited. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll do it like that. And then you get what you refer to as an instant classic, which I 100% yeah. agree Moth and the Flame. Yeah. So it's definitely in my. I would say I heard the, the, this tune one or twice and it was directly in my top 10 Metallica songs. I, for me, it's, a, it's kind of a perfect song and, and when, when, for a band that is nearly, uh, sorry, who has an early of, uh, 40 years um, of uh, activity, you know, it's, it's rare, I would say, to have some new instant classic. I 100% agree. I mean, I, I honestly felt that way about... Um... Lightning Bolt, which is, for those of you who aren't big Pearl Jam fans, it was their record that came out in 2013, 2014. And I remember the first time I heard uh, Pendulum and the first time I heard uh, Infallible. Infallible, uh, yeah. The first time I heard those two songs, which I think they might even be back-to-back on the record, I, I definitely had a similar to Moth and the Flame feeling where I thought, these are going to be some of my favorite Pearl Jam songs of all time immediately. Yeah. So I... I Pendulum is definitely one of my favorite songs, and yes, it's great. But Muffin to the Flame, it's a, a step above. I mean, it's it's really a, a great song. It's I would say it's it's flawless. It's perfect. Yeah. And, I, and we have the, the, the then we have some more production because you have the dancing flames and so on on the scene. Right. So I cannot say too too many good things about this this song. Was so it about this time that it started to get dark? As and you could see, you know, the, was the dancing flame kind of. You know? it, it was getting darker, but it was still, uh, still. You were almost. It was still daylight, but we we were entering into the night. I would say. And at this point, or up until Sabbath True, has James done any banter or addressed the crowd or it said anything interesting, or any any technical errors that you notice? Anything weird? About no, the show? I, I, no, I did not notice any technical error. I would say it's. Uh, with Metallica, what I like about these bands is that they seem to very, they seems to care about their fans. It looks like that, you know, you always speak about the Metallica family. Mm-hmm. And when I hear James speaking of the Metallica family, I kind of believe what, believe what he said. It's right. just not word fraud to the fans to to please them. I really think that he he feel he feels he feels he feels what he said. I agree. So yeah, so which is not always the case with other bands that I've ever seen, but with Metallica. It, it looks like it's genuine. They generally like the fans and care about the fans. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. That's why it's interesting. Like, if you go hang around some of the Reddits, subreddits, or the forums, most people understand they see what you see and I see and they get all that. It is interesting to see some of the people complain, though, and actually, you know, 
proliferate the idea that Metallica doesn't care at that level. It's like, uh, I think they're just misreading it because I feel the same way. When you see James yes. talk about it, it, it feels very sincere. Plus, I, you and I are kind of obsessed with this band, so we see all the TLC that maybe a casual tire kicker might not see. Yeah, but I would say one band that I really like is the Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you have uh, seen them uh, in the last past few years, but Billy Corgan does not care about his fan. Right. And you can feel it. I would say they played maybe seven years ago in Luxembourg, and they filled the, uh, our local arena. But no communication. Uh, he said nothing to us, no smile, no communication, nothing. They came back two years after. Only half of the arena was sold. Because even myself, I say I'm a huge fan of uh, Smashing Pumpkins, but Billy Corgan, it looks like we are, we are just bothering him. Yeah. So for, for me, it's important to feel that the artist is uh, enjoy what he's doing or care about his fans or at least uh, addressing a few words to, to the crowd. It, it's important for me to... It's a live show, so uh, I, I expect a little, let's say, a small bit of uh, interactions. I, I agree. And, you know, the band Tools easily in my top 10, along with Pearl Jam and Metallica. Yeah, and that's the me on, too. That's the only band where, because Maynard does not care about his fans either. I mean, he <laughs> yeah. there's just no way in hell he gives a shit. And that's the only band for me that, it, it like, Billy Corgan, the Special Moments, it would really bother me. Because I like his music a lot, and I think he's actually underrated. But I don't yeah, like it enough so. to feel snubbed by him. Like, if he snubbed me, I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you. But with Tool, I'm like, well, I'll just put up with it because the music's so powerful. 100% agree. But when you go to see Tool live, it's it's an experience in itself. It's kind of a... There's some mystic elements. I'd, yes. Okay, my, my last show was in 2006, and I will saw them in a, in a few weeks. And I, I'm very looking forward to it because it was... Uh, I saw them only twice but it was always a great show yeah you and i are the same i saw them also in 2006 and then i just saw them last week yeah and i of course won't spoil anything for you but you are going to love it yeah i'm sure you're, you're gonna have a great time um <laughs> yeah so back to metallica the sad but true did he do the uh did he do the thing where he talks about the generations of metallica fans and did he point a kid out that's what he was no. doing for a while in the arenas no it just uh asked us if you if if we want heavy stuff so do you want heavy? Of course. Of Metallica course. gives you heavy, baby. So it was... It, but there was not that much of kids in the crowd. Right. I would say most of uh, most of the attendants were people from, uh, let's say, mid-20s to mid-50s. Uh, very few kids. Um, so maybe he was not able to, to see kids in the crowd or very, uh, let's say, old people. So... <laughs> Okay, but sad but true. It's one of these songs. I'm okay. I like the album version, but the live it's something else. Right. It's more powerful when you see it live. Yeah. I would say the studio version is powerful, but live it's some it's another level. Yeah, uh, I agree. They tend to play it sometimes a little slower, which makes it makes it heavier. Sometimes they play a little bit faster, which makes it heavier. Um, it's just such a great song. Yeah, I, I I kind of feel it. Maybe it's only me, but it was played a little bit uh, slower, and uh, then it was very. You can, you know, with a a bit of uh, when you change the the pace of the song, sometimes you get a very different feeling. Right. And it really felt like the song was super heavy. Yeah. Yep. So, no, it was uh, it was flawless. But with Metallica, <laughs> almost all their show I quite flawless. So. Yeah. It was a uh, super, and then it was uh, it was night, so uh, there there were some uh, laser beam, so there were more production, uh, and you uh, I think people in the back of the venue were probably it was uh, easier for for them to to see the huge screens. Yeah, totally. And then, yeah. so what I'm curious about this: what was on the screens during No Leaf Clover? Okay, so. For Non Leaf Clover, so the, when the big mixtape started and that we understood that <clears throat> it was Non Leaf Clover, James was just in front of me and he played uh, almost all the song in front of me. Awesome. And I, I do, do not care about the, about the screens. But it's strange and it's rare for me, but when the mixtape started, to be honest, my, my eyes were, were kind of uh, becoming wet. Yeah. And I take a look at my people around me and I saw people starting to cry. Wow. And 
only with the mixtape. So I think a lot of people were not expecting this song. And I I don't know why, but I always have, always have a kind of... Uh, each time I listen to this song, I, I feel something which is not translated in the world, but something else on it. And maybe I, I was not the only one because people were really emotional about this song. No, I mean, just even hearing you talk about that gave me chills. It's yeah. for some reason that song, I mean, I remember when that song came out, it was powerful. It was, yes. it, it was definitely already emotionally kinetic. And now all these years later, and now that they're starting to play it again, it's probably wrapped up in a, the song's great and powerful B it's taking us back to that time. Yeah. You know, they're going to play this S&M 2 gig. It's all wrapped up, and there's a little bit of nostalgia in it, too, I think, for a lot of people. Yes. And I would say, before the tour, if you had asked me uh, which song you, you would like them to play, but they will never play it, I would probably uh, pick No Leaf Clover. Right. Probably. Because it's one of my favorite songs, and I I don't know when they last play it. Maybe a few... I don't remember if they played it a few times or not uh, during the U.S. legs of the tour. They only played it once. So once, yes. crazy. So, and then before that, they'd only played it once in 2011. So for it to... Yeah. And what's crazy is they played it like at the first show of the arena tour here, and then they never yes. played it again. So so that's why it was unexpected because I said, okay, they already... The, the, the ninth song is a kind of a rotating slot of, a, let's say, a ballad or a powerful ballad. So right. let's say, okay, they're already playing Olive Flower, so I was maybe expecting more uh, a Fade to Black or Welcome Home, song right. like that, right. which I, I'm totally fine with it, but I've already um, seen this song. So having Olive Clover was, uh, for me, the real treat of the, of the night. And then were you aware that the 10th slot has been typically a St. Anger slot? Yes, I was aware, and I was really fine with it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes, but before uh, before the tenth slot, we have the, the doodles. Oh, okay, yeah, what's weird? Okay. That's, not a, that's not on the uh, their set list on the website. Weird. Hey, go ahead. What? So, what was their doodle? So they covered the song from a band called the Celtic Frost. Oh yeah. Um, apparently, it's a, it's a band from Switzerland. I I knew the, the name of the band, but was not familiar with them, and I would say. Uh, I I felt that most of the crowd was not uh, familiar with this song, but they probably had they probably had a hard time to to find a, a well known song from a uh, Switzerland artist. Yeah, I mean they're like Scandinavian black metal, so in in that small niche, people know them. But yeah, especially if no one's going to sing or you know what I mean. So it was just Kirk and Rob doing their typical doodle, right? Yes, but just Rob, uh, he was playing super fast. Uh, uh, riff on his bass and singing at the same time. And I, I would say, um, uh, what was what I appreciate about this uh, doodle was to fully grasp uh, our Rob, uh, the technique of Rob. Absolutely. Because when you when you listen to the album, it, I would say, it's sometimes I would say Rob is he, not using all his uh, would say his skills. Yeah. And during the during the doodles, you you can really. He shows how, how good he is with his bass. Yeah, there's a sense to where he's sort of an untapped resource in the band a little bit because you're right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, you know, Suicidal Tendencies and Infectious Grooves, he was in some of the coolest in terms of technical bands ever. And uh, yeah, he, I don't think he, they use him as much for that as they can. And that's what makes those doodles special or when he plays Anesthesia. Did he go into Anesthesia? No, he played a, a bit of uh, Manankind and Orion. Oh, cool. And you, and you so behind so on the stage you have f uh, five huge screen mm -hmm. so and the, the the three of the middle so you uh, they were bro broadcasting Rob and the two on the on the side uh, that were broadcasting uh, cliffs so uh, nice. past uh, past recording of cliffs so it was for me it was also uh, an homage to Cliff yeah that's great. And it's cool that they switched that up, and they're doing Orion now. And it's cool that he yeah. got to do a little bit of Man and Kind, which was sort of his creative contribution to Hardwired. So Yeah. And that's another song that they debuted in Europe. They played it a couple times over there, and I think maybe even played it in Paris. And uh, for whatever reason, it's just gone back into the old, the old sack of songs. Yeah. Ethan and I were just talking today. We just did our uh, episode on 1997. And they okay. and they, Unforgiven Two was about to be a single. Reloaded just come out, and they played Unforgiven Two on the Billboard Music Awards, 
and Kirk fucked it up so bad. He hits this big clam at the top, and they didn't play the song again for 17 years. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if they're just particularly sensitive to that or what, but it's cool to see some man unkind love for sure. Yeah. And then there is there was a short break, and then it's a St. Inger slot. Right. What was the crowd's reaction to that? Uh, I was surprised because um, I would have thought that most of the OG were pissed by the Saint Anger uh, tr- uh, track, mm-hmm. but I, I would say everyone were already energetic. But um, I would say with a, let's say regular drum sound and with extra guitar fills by Kirk, right? It's it really sound different. Yeah. But I, I would say uh, when Saint Anger came out, uh, uh, Frantic and Saint Anger, the two first song. I was really fine with them because at the time I, I was heavily into this uh, new metal vibe. So for me, it was I was not uh, bummed by the the snare drum or that there was no solo and so on. So I'm I'm, I'm I think it's great to to bring back a Saint Anger slot. Yeah, I mean, I I think that even for people like me that didn't like that record and still don't really like it very much, just the fact that they haven't played any of this material in eight nine years, it's just exciting, you know. Yes, and it sounded, in my opinion, it sounded great. And all the the slow moments, so keep on searching. It was, I would say, everyone was uh, was really into it. So I would say maybe they just uh, they are just preparing for their London show because uh, maybe uh, Tom Quill will be there. So they have to <laughs> they have to put a something a slot to please him. That's true. They have they have to do something for Tom, that poor bastard. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to play either Frantic or St. Anger for the SNM2 gig. That would be interesting. Yes, maybe. could be. Could be. Do I try it with uh, an orchestra? Why yeah. not? Yeah, why not? But uh, yeah, why not? It's so then, and it's a good thing that the one is this far down on the set because the, the pyro sitch in one, I'm sure, would be way less powerful in the daylight, right? Exactly. So it was uh, when one was played. It was uh, nighttime. And um, uh, because as um, as the stage was uh, not uh, there was no roof over the, the part of the Metallica stage. I think we have uh, the the wall pyro things because in Paris part of the part of the, part of the scene was under the roof and there were less uh, um, uh, pyrotechnics. Right, right. So we get the full show. So no, okay. So one is great. So it's. Once again, when when they for the end of the sets, the, the songs are not changing from one show to 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 another. Okay. But it's only I would say it's only these are out, outstanding tracks and uh, the crowd are into it. Uh, and and once again, it was a, a nice spot because we we had James several times. We have uh, Kirk uh, playing solo a few times also. So it was awesome. Yeah, and I'm noticing, you know, the, on the on the arena tour, they had this sort of four song punch, which was like one Sabbath, True Moth, and Puppets, and on this tour, it's it's like five big barn burners in a row, one into Puppets yes. and the Bells, Creeping Death, Seek and Destroy. It's incredible. It's an incredible yeah. five song run for sure. Exactly, and starting from uh, For Worms the Bell Tones, a little um, drum set. Uh, rise from the in the catwalk, mm-hmm. so last in playing in, uh, on the front of the of the catwalk for 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 the last three song of the main set. That's fun. So and they are so for the starting from from the bell toads to seek and destroy, they are all playing on the front on, uh, on the front of the catwalk. So that must have been closer to you, right? Exactly. So yeah. it, they were really next to to us. So. We, I was able to to witness the the crab walk. Yeah, the cra- you yeah. probably got to see the crab walk really close. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did little bits and pieces of crab fly out? Maybe <laughs> exactly. land in your hair? Yeah. Once again, I I from one to master of pipettes to uh, bears to creeping death to seek and destroy. It was uh, just a. Uh, an, an endless session of uh, great, uh, great songs played very well with a lot of uh, interaction with the crowd. So it was, uh, it was awesome. So covering sort of the first three or four big thrash records, where do you, are you a puppets guy? Are you a lightning guy? I know you came on with the black album. What do you, where do you sit with some of the early stuff? Um, 
I have some uh, maybe kill them all. It's hard for me to listen to kill them all because of the, of the production and of yeah. James' voice. Yeah. But f- from like the uh, Rise of Lightning to Master of Puppets uh, and to um, and Justice for All, it's okay. It's uh, it's kind of a, a big free uh, of the albums. I I like this album so much. So it's it's too bad that I've discovered them too late in 2006 because I could have listened to them since the early 90s. But right. uh, these are great albums, and I think that they are aged very, very, very well. I when totally you co- agree. And when you consider probably that the the means that they have at the time, either financially or technologically, I think the it, it sounds still great because I, when you, for example, when you listen to old uh, Iron Maiden album, it's very sound dated. But with Metallica, it sounds great. I agree. I they. They were just on to something special, and the songs have lived on so well. It's amazing to me that they weren't writing songs that were embarrassing. Like, maybe Metal Militia is embarrassing. Maybe Jump in the Fire. But creep, nothing embarrassing about Creeping Death, for sure. No, but Creeping Death, uh, I would say. I have, yes, Creeping Death with a die chant. It's always a, a, huge, uh, a huge treat, and everyone screaming die. In a, so you have uh, 30,000 people. <laughs> Uh, shouting dice so, yeah. no, it was a... it's literally the only time I want to be in the middle of 30,000 people shouting shouting the word <laughs> die there's <laughs> yeah, exactly. no other scenario that I want to be in that situation no I get a real kick out of uh, the few times that I've been on the rail like looking at the security guards during that part because they just have to be professional and like you know they it must be a trip for them especially if they don't know the material yeah I it took like that most of them were not uh, very uh, familiar with the material. Yeah, it's almost like a, re- a requisite. You don't want someone working security that's a huge Metallica fan. <laughs> yes, exactly. But in Europe, maybe not in Switzerland, but in France, I think probably the security guards who are not familiar with the uh, with the material. It probably they don't with the sound they are not able to understand what what the crowd is singing. Ah, so. gotcha. Yeah, they're like they're just all shaking their fists and they look angry. So <laughs> exactly, but. Uh, in Zurich, it was super chill. Uh, no more, no more speed, no uh, crowd surfing, and so on. To be honest, it, the the security guard, it was uh, they they did nothing during the night. Right. They had right. No, they had strictly nothing to do. Which which once again was very different in Paris, but in Zurich, it was uh, it was nice for them. Yeah, easy gig. Get to hear Metallica exactly. for free and go home. S- super easy gig. So I think until Paris. They played Lords of Summer for the uh, for the encore yeah. slot, right? But they played Spit Out the Bone last night, right? Exactly. I would so, say people were very surprised last night that they changed change it because everyone take for granted uh, the last three songs. Um, once again, Lords of Summer, not my favorite song, yeah. but the bands. It looks like that the the bands was uh, the band was uh, has a lot of fun playing it. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen a video of Lords of Summer. It does look like that for sure. So, and for me, it's important that they jump themselves. So, it's it's not my, one of my favorite songs, but okay, as long as they, that they uh, entertaining themselves, they will probably continue to play. So, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think them having fun is really important, especially once you get towards the end of the show, and especially when they're gonna play. Nothing else matters in your Sandman. Two of the most played songs of their whole career. I do yes. think that they need to mix that encore slot up. What and, and I'm fine with taking out the uh, the normal, you know, the normal culprits. Put in Damage Inc. Put in Dyer's Eve. Spit out the bone. Uh, but the Lords of Summer, like three or four nights in a row, I can see how people are like, "Oh man," and I get yeah. it. It's a summer tour, and it's a song about that, and it's fun. And so exactly, you're lucky that you got to see both. Exactly. And uh, on the, the back of uh, James' uh, vest, it was written Lords of Summer, so he, he had to play it in Zurich. Oh, nice. I'm going to look for that right now, because he, he changes vests sometimes, like throughout the show. Yeah, uh, I think in Paris he changed it probably two times, I think, but I, I'm not sure. But it was not the same one in Paris uh, compared to Zurich, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I wonder what the vest changing moves all about. Is it like a sweat thing? Don't know. <laughs> trying to find a picture of it i can't find a picture of it so then you get the sort of, you know that what's coming nothing else matters and sandman yeah what was the so, vibe like for those uh for nothing else matters to be honest i was a little bit disappointed by the, the live rendition 
if I remember well, I don't know if it was with you or with Ethan, but one of uh, the hosts uh, of the Metal Tales um, pointed it uh, in the past. I think they play it a little bit too fast. Right. Uh, so there was less emotion, and I would say that uh, James kind of had some issue with some with his voice. And I had, I I kind of uh, as have the, the same feeling about Paris. So this two rendition of Nothing Else Matters, I'm, I don't know there's, I don't know if it's the pace of the song, but it for just for me, or maybe not for the other fans, but it it sounds kind of weird, and I did not feel. I would have expected more emotion. Right. But his voice was sounding a little rough, you said? Yes, he I would say he has some uh, some issues to to I don't know how to say it in English to to so that the to 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 keep the, the notes uh, on a long time. Right, to sustain the notes. Yes, so he, he it, it was like it's, uh, he he stopped singing some notes too too early. So right, yeah, and then he and then he knew that Sandman's coming up too. He might have been trying to just preserve his voice. Yes, probably. But I I would say maybe the the second time that I saw Metallica in 2011, they did not play Nothing Else Matters, and I would say I it does not. I was not bummed by it. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Do they really have to play Nothing Else Matters every night? To be honest, I'm not sure because they have so many so. There are a lot of material of quality, and I'm not sure that they have to play this song um, every night. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th I think they could get away with Sandman. You know, it, yeah. it would be fun to have to, you know, put a ballad slot there that maybe sometimes there's nothing else matters. It'd be great to see The Day That Never Comes or something like that down there. Yes, one of my favorite songs. <laughs> so in general, did you walk away? Well, see, you got to walk away from that show also knowing that you're going to see them again in two days. So I'm sure... That was a pretty satisfying set list for you, especially knowing you had another one coming down the pike. Yes, exactly. So it was my first show uh, since 2012. So it, it once again, as I'm not looking to too, ma too much video, obviously in seven years, uh, they are older compared to 2012. But it was um, a, a nice set. I was uh, at a super spot, uh, so uh, on the next to the catwalk. So I was very close to, I have been able to be close to all the members of the bands. Uh, the quad was uh, super chilled, super. You know, I, I, it was a, a super nice experience. And it's, you have a black ticket. Are you going to see more European shows? Yes. Yeah, so I would at least be in uh, Brussels and Mannheim. So Brussels is in June and Mannheim in August. And maybe I would throw one or two additional dates uh, if I can. Do you want to come on for that Mannheim show and give us another Metal Tales recap? We don't have anyone for that. Yes, I would be. Uh... Yes, I'm gonna get Definitely. you down for that. Yes, thank you. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking the time to be an ambassador for that show and talk talk some bullshit Pearl Jam with me. And <laughs> no I know it's late over there, and you know you got your kids down and everything. So I'm gonna let you go here soon. But uh, I love doing these metal tales because it's an opportunity for me to tell you in person how much how grateful we are that you listened to the show, that you came over from uh, Single Podcast Theory that you support the show. It really means a lot to us, dude. We really appreciate it. No, I am the one who should thank you and Ethan for uh, delivering such quality material. I would say I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts and you're definitely in my favorite too. And uh, you're, you're delivering uh, so many good material when, uh, and um, it's a, a lot of fun uh, to, to listen to, to your show, and I've learned so many things about Metallica that I would have not learned uh, otherwise. So thanks to you and Ethan for, for your time, because I'm sure that it's very time-consuming. How else would you know the little-known fact that the Outlaw Torn, in fact, is not on S&M <laughs> without listening to us? That's the kind of information we provide. Exactly. It's funny because um, coming back to Paris, I was running out of podcasts, and I've started to listen to uh, all the um, all the first episode of your show. Wow! And and I would like encourage people to listen to listen to your first show because there there is a kind of a Back to the Future treat. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we we updated that. Yeah, I hope, yeah I, so, I haven't uh, even thought about that. Exactly. Well, thank you so much again, and it sounds like we'll be talking to you uh, sometime after August twenty fifth. Yeah, great. I'm. 
I'm very excited to, to do it once again. Awesome. Thanks to you, Clint. Thank you. Hey, it's Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we hope you're enjoying the Metal Tales from the Road series. If you've been keeping up with us, then you already know that we've covered every stop on the 2018-2019 North American Arena Tour, and we look forward to catching up with all of our European friends later this year on the Stadium Tour overseas. And there's more. After the Stadium Tour, we are continuing the Metal Tales series for any Metallica show in the past. Maybe you saw one of the Orion festivals. Maybe you were at the Channel in 1984 and Cliff Burton bought you a beer. Maybe you were at one of the 30th anniversary shows or you just saw a regular ass show in north dakota somewhere we want to hear from you since ethan and i started metal up your podcast we've wanted to find a way for listeners to call in and share their stories well this is it to make yourself eligible for a future or past metal tales episode please consider joining us on patreon for five dollars a month you not only get to come on the show as a guest you also get both of our Cover Our World Blackened EPs, monthly giveaways like deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, posters, and other goodies. You get early access to our YouTube videos, and we also let you ask our guests like Ray Burton, Michael Wagner, Hailstorm, members of Slipknot, your very own questions. For what essentially amounts to two cups of coffee a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. For any of you on the ride with us, we love you, we thank you, peace and adios.